this the self quarantine is is allowing us to really explore uh, very beautiful traditional cultural values that we had, and I am back to singing a lot more. Um, I'm back to cooking a lot more, and so are my friends. Hey everyone, it's Ann Taylor Herzl, your host for the Culture Shift Podcast. This is episode 13, and I've got a very special guest for you today. It's Angelo with Live Italy, which is one of Ciao Bambino's most amazing tour partners. He talks with us about what life is like in Italy right now as they're navigating the coronavirus crisis and uh, hanging out in their homes, much like many of us across the country here. What um, Angelo is sharing with us today is one, how he started his business and the impact on the tourism industry as everyone has been seeing, as well as what some of the most magical and beautiful moments that are coming out of this crisis. I strongly believe that we will all, um, while it's going to be difficult here, uh, we'll have some wonderful bright spots that will come out of this, um, slowing down and reconnecting with our families. I um, want to share with you what life is like in Italy right now uh, from his perspective. And at some point, we will get back to traveling. Uh, and we can still dream about travel and um, think about those trips in the future. So please enjoy my conversation with Angelo, Live Italy, a Ciao Bambino partner. Welcome to the Culture Shift Podcast. I have a very special guest today, Angelo. He's the co-founder of Live Italy. Angelo, can you pronounce your last name for me? Because it sounds way better when you do it. <laughs> it's Caro Tenuto. So Angelo Caro Tenuto. Oh, thank you so much for being here today. You are actually mm-hmm. live in Rome. Uh, you've just finished another day of... Um, Quarantine, I don't know what they're calling it there in Italy. I know for us, uh, there's shelter in place, a variety of different words for describing us all laying low at home. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are officially one weekend, even though I have to say that, um, you know, there were a couple of measures already taken before a week ago uh, that sort of had us in a macro quarantine already kind of happening with the closure of schools and, uh, and our desire to just, you know, be a, feel a little safer and protect the elderly and people with slower immune system, we had already kind of adopted some measures ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we get going on, um, on uh, you know, sort of how things are there, I want, I want to learn a little bit more about Live Italy. Can you explain to me? So how we got connected is you are one of um, Ciao Bambino's treasured partners um, and been working side by side with clients navigating um, through this unprecedented time in our history together, and especially in the travel industry. How did you get started uh, with Live Italy? Well, um, long story short, (laughs) um, I I started tour guiding as a summer job between my junior year and my senior year of college. I went to college in the in California, even though I'm born and raised here, my mother is from California. So there was <clears throat> some sort of um, written plan for my life and my sister's life to do higher education in the States. And I would always come back in the summer. And I would come back actually to do shows because I am a theater major with a minor in art, art history. And I was cast in these Italian operas with uh, a bunch of American performers. And one of the summers, 
quite a few of these American opera singers um, who were, you know, taking these beautiful experiences in Rome, Italy for the entire summer singing opera with an Italian orchestra in Italian venues, decided that Rome was the place to be and never took that flight back uh, to the U.S. Wow. And uh, yeah. And And when was this? What year was this? This is 2004, where the biggest group of people did that actually acted like that. It was about five or six out of a cast of 40 that uh, just fell in love deep, deeply fell in love with with Rome and never took that flight back. And I kept in touch with a few of them. You know, when you do theater together, you bond in a very special way. And the following summer, um, I you know went ahead and I was in LA. So the following summer, when I was back in Rome, I went ahead and you know went out with them, got some drinks, got to talk. And first question was, how in the world are you guys making it here? You know, it's hard to find jobs in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find jobs in Italy for people who are not Italian and native speakers, who are American citizens, uh, you know, you're expats. And this is before the big boom of globalization. And uh, so I was just curious. And they said, well, we're tour guides. And I said, how are you in the world? Are you doing that? So anyways, they got me interested and basically i started tour guiding as a summer job i studied i got some books i you know self-made my own tour of the vatican and 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 did that for the entire summer put you know a decent amount of money for a college student away for the summer and made a, a a better senior year for myself and when i went back in 2006 i was planned to move to london and continue uh my acting training and my acting career. Why, why London? Why, sorry to interrupt you. Why, why well, London? Uh, well, um, I was, well, <laughs> in my junior year, I studied abroad in London and the director of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts interviewed me after a semester together and he had asked me what my plans were after graduation. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm probably going to give Los Angeles a shot. You know, it's Hollywood. And he says, absolutely not. <laughs> and he says, you must come back to London. You're a European citizen. You are good at what you do. Why in the world would you ever try in the midst of a cutthroating industry like Los Angeles? Come here, do a year master, become a British actor, quote unquote, and then you'll find a job. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my plan. And mm-hmm. I applied to some of the best institutions for my master's program in, in acting and theater directing. And I essentially didn't make it after several runs of auditions back and forth, Rome, London, London, Los Angeles, and so forth. And I was quite upset with London. But at that point, I was in Rome. I had graduated Los Angeles. I moved back to Rome. And I had been tour guiding now for a few months. You know, my letters from these institutions only came in June and July. So Mm -hmm. at that point, tour guiding was my thing. I was doing it. I was doing it well. It It was giving me enough revenue to you know, keep my passions and my, and my interests going and maybe even fuel them for that matter, you know, so I could do some theater off theater, some singing and so forth. Um, so I started tour guiding professionally and for about six or seven years, I did that in all sorts of shapes and forms. I tour guided for EF 
high school children who have to, or a low budget travel who see 12 cities in nine days and they come from some remote part of the United States of America, mm-hmm. all the way to super VIP clients from cruise ship clients, all the way to free tours. I was giving, you know, free promos of St. Peter's Basilica or the Roman Forum and then selling myself for other tours to them. Mm-hmm. And it was all really a grand experience and a really built my bones and made me a lot stronger than than what I could have been right now, considering the crisis we're having. And in 2011, I sort of had a little bit of an epiphany. Um, and I told myself, wait a minute, I've seen all sorts of different clientels and I've seen all sorts of targets except for one. And this target is not being harassed. And to this day, Christine and I call them the dreamers. And they are, technically speaking, uh, um, an affluent uh, household, uh, probably $250,000, $300,000 household. They most likely, both of them have jobs, um, high professions. They probably have two or three degrees each, uh, even though mother could probably be taking some time off for maternity because they can afford it. But their travel is extraordinarily important. It's educational. It's about the experience. It's about making, it's about educating their children. It's about uh, exploration and becoming a better human being. It's about sustainability. It's about, and, and so it's not about that commercial, neither the too commercial and too low. Um, uh, I don't want to say low, but um, you know, too commercial kind of mass, mass tourism, nor yeah, the super it's immersive gay. experience, right? We were uh, sort of behind the scenes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's people that don't take off a list and just make sure they do everything. It's people that probably want to live everything they're planning on doing in that very important part of their year. Mm. And that's why we called it, I called it Live Italy. So I created a portal. And at that time, you imagine it was unique, a website that where you, a traveler, a consumer, or an agent could access and design a la carte your vacation. So it could be anything... And it was about the stereotypes of Italy. So any stereotype you thought Italy was famous for, food, wine, culture, archaeology, Ferrari, cars, fashion, soccer, football, call it whatever you want. Mm -hmm. We created a service around it so that people could actually have that very intuitive, very 360 degree, very hands-on experience. So we'd take people to a soccer game. We'd have people test drive a Ferrari. We'd take them for a regular Vatican Museum tour. We'd take them um, wine tasting in Tuscany. We'd take them on a boat ride under and to explore and snorkel the corals of Capri and Amalfi. And it was really unique that there was a homemade house uh, family business who could supply all of these services rather than resell them. Well, I want to go right um, now. I'm coming. <laughs> I'll do all of those right now. I'm very grounded. <laughs> You're right. We're here to make people dream so that oh. when everything we're, we're, we're going to make sure that they come. Um, anyways, uh, it was quite a unique of a website, liveitaly.com at that time. And people, people love the concept. Oh, I can be here and do this and I can be here and do that. However, um, then Christine and I met and she came into the business and she had this, you know, she came from logistics and administration and operations. She used to be a, a buyer and she worked in logistics a lot in Sweden. And we, we, besides getting married later on, uh, she, she, we, 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 we gave ourselves an opportunity. And instead of treating Lividily as my part-time job while I was tour guiding during the day, we both thought that, you know what, Christine, if there's any person I want to get to the last penny I have into this project, 
it would be you. So together we got into this and made it our full-time commitment. And um, well, uh, we made a, we, we, we had a second epiphany, which is fortunately or unfortunately, the spinal cord of all these companies is going to be the Vatican, the Colosseum, the Doge's Palace, Pompeii archaeological site, the, the Academia, where the David is, the Last Supper. Uh, willingly or unwillingly, you can't really kind of, uh, you know, survive a business purely on cooking classes and Ferrari test drives. And uh, for that reason, we decided that even the most common and the most traditional of tours, say a Vatican Museum's tour, had to have a very specific Lividly mark, which was either you do a private, and there's always, and any, any company can do a private tour, by the way, but you do a private with a client only, and there's always something special about it, like a visit to a secret room or special access at a particular time. Or for small group tours, uh, which everybody claims to sell, so scheduled the part of group tour, we made sure that we had the smallest group tour size of the industry. So six people max per every tour guide hired, which made it extremely unique um, and very diverse and made it as much as a living experience as we wanted all the other experiences to be. So even the most traditional tour was about the passion. It was about the energy. It was about uh, instilling people's um, curiosity. It's about making your, your arms get goosebumps. So when you hear that passionate tour guide teaching you about, you know, the Sistine Chapel or whatever it is. And I guess, I suppose, and I hope <laughs> that the, you know, the variation of the product and this very uniqueness uh, made it for a winning, a winning formula. And, and, and we've been, you know, quite a successful business since 2015, 2014. Wow. That's an amazing story. I love that. I cannot, I'm, I'm dreaming right now of all the things to see and do again. We will again. So it is true then that you are a classically trained opera singer. <laughs> yes. I uh, saw that. Very impressive. Oh, yeah. So speaking of singing, so I think uh, what has gone viral is all the amazing videos of Italians singing uh, with each other on balconies uh, music filling the streets. Um, I know you, you'd said that you live in a more rural environment, but what is it like as you're connecting with your friends and associates all around the city uh, of Rome? Like what is the current state of things right now? Well, I do live in the countryside, but I have, uh, uh, I, I live in a community of about 8,500 people. So um, even though there's a lot of space between homes, um, the community is is quite um, uh, close to each other. So mm-hmm. anything that you see on balconies is actually happening here too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Um, there, w- what has struck me the most is... Besides the way that people want to um, express their sentiments, uh, whether it's banging a pot outside of their balcony doing, you know, this flash mob that we're having every day at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. So it's happening it every day at 6 p.m.? Am I miss? Oh, no, I, you're not going to miss it. We'll, we'll get you out there in time. No, no, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Um, <laughs> the, well, the, yeah, uh, the, the, I don't know if it's done on purpose, but at 6 p.m. it's when the Protezione Civile, which is literally translated as our civil protection unit, so it's somebody who is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an organization that 
you know, generally acts, it's like a, it's not like a FEMA, but it's, it, it, it's an organization that acts when it's a public government organization that acts when tragedies like this happen, like earthquakes or fires or, or pandemics. And they're the ones who rely all the information and connect the dots between the various authorities and the government. And at 6 p.m., uh, they connect online and on television and they tell us, the entire country, they tell what's going on with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the amount of new, um, uh, uh, new, 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 new hospitalized people, the amount of uh, deaths, the amount of cured, um, what's the status on new regulations on people being on the street, on stores and pharmacies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of interesting that the flash mobs are happening. They're happening at every hour, by the way. There's different types of flash mobs, but the one that happens every day is at 6 p.m. exactly when the man is speaking. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a way to say, I guess, I suppose, um, you know, there's, there's, there's reality and we have to face it and we have to analyze it and we have to understand it. And however, we have to stay united and together and in the distance of the walls, we have to, you know, remember what, um, what make us uh, an amazing country and which is, you know, being united and, um, and finding the values that we are uh, so good for. So it could be singing, it could be cooking, it could be, um, talking to each other. And finally enough, we've been ever more so connected than when we were actually connected physically. So there's, there, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, there's some sort of exaggeration every once in a while, as for everything, you know, there was one day where there was like seven flash mobs organized. <laughs> Just so, you know, one of those days where you're feeling an energy slump, like we got to get, we got to move through this mud yeah. of, of challenge. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, um, I've myself, I've been finding myself and I see this because I see this on social media. I see it when I talk to my employees, I see it when I talk to my friends on WhatsApp or chat or Facebook, everybody is, uh, this, this, the self quarantine is, is allowing us to really explore, um, very beautiful traditional cultural values that we had. And I am back to singing a lot more. Um, I'm back to cooking a lot more. And so are my friends. Uh, you, you'll never believe it, but, um, uh, uh, you know, you need yeast in order to make pizza, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the pandemic has not created any sort of issue in our grocery stores, as you may have believed, or as it may have been, been happening. Our grocery stores are fully equipped; they have everything, everything. There's only a line outside because they're only letting in, you know, a few people at a time, mm. so that you know you don't group up or create lines of cashiers. But I was there two nights ago and. I decided to go in the evening so I didn't have to stand in line. And the store was fully equipped, had everything. Pasta, prosciutto, um, even Japanese food, Mexican food. They had cheeses, everything, 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 everything. Mm. The one thing you can't find is yeast to make pizza at home. (laughs) Everybody is back at making pizza in their home. It's, Uh. It's incredible. I've just gotten total goosebumps. Like I'm, I'm almost at, like got a lump in my throat right now. Um, it is just so much to process, and it's you've so beautifully articulated. I think 
some of the things that are starting to happen here in the U.S. as well as I'm watching families walking together slowly through the neighborhood, like kids and parents. And when I started, when I started this podcast, our daily lives are so insane. Like we have scheduled ourselves to the absolute hilt that we don't enjoy those simple pleasures of life anymore. And so I was hoping that the culture shift would really help create small changes in our life because I know that people are not willing to make big changes because everybody else is doing it. But being forced to slow down like this is going, my hope is that we will all think through whether that works for us anymore to be at that frenetic pace. Um, And I think the thing that people love about visiting Italy and that you're seeing now just with your daily life is slowing down and enjoying this part of the culture, right? Is just to savor um, and so social in nature, right? Um, And family is so important. Um, I think that is one one of the many, many things that people love about visiting, you know, Italy. Um, So I appreciate you sharing sort of what that daily life is like. Um, In addition to the flash mobs um, and the grocery store and the cooking and singing, are, are there any other sort of insights around daily life now in Italy like we're it's hard social media makes things um immediate but we also are it's hard to filter through what is real and what's not so I was hoping to talk to you today to just talk about what is what is happening in daily life um right now as you guys are a weekend um well um there's there's various there's there's there are various parts of the story there's various layers of the story um there's the business part and the financial aspect um and then there is obviously a family uh, the family portion and uh, and the social aspect i think socially we semi covered it and i am happy to say that the measures that our governments have taken to protect the elderly and the people with um, low immune system, which is granted, it's only about 0.5% of our population. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all uh, unanimously very proud of. And even though, you know, some people have a little bit of a hard time understanding what stay at home means, um, uh, it's been very rare cases and it's shown by the numbers. So what I want to, you know, say is, um, to anybody who will be listening to this is that if you do, if, if, first of all, if the government makes the correct rulings and if you do follow, um, the regulations, you do come out of this. Um, so that's socially on a business point of view, it's dramatic. Yeah. It's drastic. Um, um, the new word that we've been finding ourselves that Christina have been finding ourselves, um, utilizing is hibernation is freeze everything. Um, at first when we, believe it or not, I was in New York when they were talking about China and I was at a travel show shaking hands to thousands of people uh, Mm -hmm. a day 
And uh, there was this big, huge flat screen at the Javits Center in New York, Manhattan, which was running the news about China on a constant basis. And for whatever reason, I found myself almost being the only one putting my head up and watching the news. And I was like, you know, you get a sense that something is happening, but you have no idea what the magnitude or the scale is going to be. But I did go ahead and buy a bunch of disinfectant from my hand and the people that were in my stand with me. And I mm-hmm. said, use it every time you shake somebody's hand or as much as possible. Um, little did I know that obviously, of course, this is going to come elsewhere. It's going to come to Europe. It's going to come to other Asian countries. It's going to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. But on what scale is impossible to measure? When it finally reached Italy on the 22nd, 23rd of February, I left to go to Paris on the 24th. And I embarked on a flight and two and a half hours later, when I finally got to check my email again, we had received already about 25, 30 requests of cancellations. And then that's when it struck me. And I said, okay, this is, this is serious. And I, I let a play. Uh, I set up a system for cancellations. I told the team how to handle them. Um, and it started becoming, you know, hundreds of cancellations a day. Yeah. And when I finally made it back, I started, you know, diverting marketing to different destinations that were less affected or not affected at all or decided not to talk about it. Um, you know, Spain, France at that time, we accelerated the development of London. Um, we Whole, we were hoping that we, we were sponsor of, 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 of an event happen, a blogger event called TBEX. Yes. In, yeah. Uh, familiar. Mm-hmm. In Sicily. And we were hoping that this event could still go on so that we could at least promote Southern Italy where it hadn't hit yet. And finally, when I got back from, um, from France, well, actually I was supposed to be back on the 27th from Paris and then Christine was supposed to fly up on the 27th from, from Rome to continue the site inspections and last uh, dry runs with tour guides and stuff like that. And we opted to have her stay in Rome because we didn't want her to get blocked or me to get blocked for whatever reason. You know, you cough at the airport or something like that. Then somebody oh, I stops. know. Yeah, same thing is happening here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I stayed in Paris. She, she lost her flight and I purchased a new flight to be back on Saturday night after all my dry runs were over and Sunday, Christine and I look at each other and we said, we need to have an emergency meeting with everybody on Monday. Mm-hmm. And at that point we had, you know, hundreds of cancellations and had already refunded dozens of thousands of dollars. And, um, we were trying to find ways to, uh, make it less painful as possible. But on Monday we had an emergency meeting and we put, after basically seven days of emergency, we put nine out of 14 employees on part-time. Mm-hmm. And we said, you got You have to understand that now we are all in a precarious situation, that your job is precarious and we're going to have to, you know, Christine and I had developed three steps to the crisis. Um, and you know, we made them somewhat aware. Uh, we, we said, we are a family. We're going to stick together. We're going to try and do everything that is best for you guys. We need to support our clients. We need to support our partners. Um, but we have to also be very realistic with the situation. And uh, whatever is demanded by the governments, we're going to have to follow. Whatever our clients are demanding, we're going to have to oblige to. But at some point, we realized that our bookings for the future 
went down to zero. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. not just, you know, you lose whatever has been booked until that point, you start losing whatever's coming for the future undeterminately. So meaning for a few days, people were still booking June and July thinking, oh, this is going to be over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and now the bookings are down to zero. So we are, you know, fastly approach step two of the crisis. And step two is going to be, we have to hibernate everything um, and be ready to start again when it starts again, when people start feeling more confident about travel. And, um, uh, but it's natural that at some point you have to, uh, you know, make sure that you find a sustainable way to run through the hibernation until things start over again. Um, so that's, that's, that's the story on a, on a business level. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so those are the layers. Um, the travel industry, I think, you know, for people, no one is going to become untouched from this, uh, in all the economic, uh, we, we still don't know what the economic fallout will be, but I appreciate you sharing your personal story because, um, the hours and hours and hours of, of time that you have and many, many other partners have put in to accommodate and support, uh, families traveling and postponing and wanting to go. And the uncertainty of all of it is certainly, um, the travel industry has never dealt with a crisis like this before. And we will all get through it together. Um, it is hard because we want to do the right thing, uh, for the, the greater good of humanity. And sometimes that is difficult my husband and I are just taking it one day at a time too, as we're watching the markets yeah. go up and down and, you know, small businesses and restaurants and all these, you know, are closing and laying off people. And it's very, very difficult. Um, but as you mentioned before, there are some bright spots in humanity and we will get through this and um, we will return to travel again. Um, oh yeah. And uh, better and more present and conscious than ever. I, I believe. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think, you know, certainly not in our relationship with Chao Bambino, but in our relationship with big OTAs, online travel agencies and the venues, what this crisis has done is uncovered a bubble that we were all living off of. And there needs to be a restructuring of, of, uh, of collaborations um, and cancellation policy and travel insurance agreements um, and non-refundability of certain ticket and certain venues, um, everything when the market starts going, going back to uh, normality, at least. When you start having some sensors that things are going to start again, we have to all sit down unanimously together across the table and diagonally, transversely all talk and say, this is going to happen again. And we need to be much better prepared Um if because if it's not a pandemic, it could be another, you know, um, <laughs> a, a terrorist attack, unfortunately, or yeah, it could be any number of crises. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 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 I agree. I agree. No, I think uh, across healthcare, across education, yeah. as we're trying to remote learn with our kids. Oh my gosh, yeah. what a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Trying to uncover where all those bubbles are, right? And really, wow. we're being forced to, to make quick action change, which I think yeah. is a good thing as well. So, yeah. so um, one of the things that Amy and I talked about from Chad Bambino is um, sort of the first reaction to this um, and how you know, what are some of, some of those miles, you talked about those milestone points as a business, uh, but sort of socially, 
um, at first, you know, everybody was like, come to Italy, come to Italy. When were those yeah. tip, tipping points when people were like, don't wait, hold on a second. <laughs> We've got yeah. something going on here because I think what would be helpful for people in the U.S. to know is sort of how it's transpiring for you because we are behind you in certain terms of timeline and just now going through this. And I know that there's a lot of uncertainty. It feels like a tidal wave that's coming and we don't know how big it is and how, what we're going to do. And so if you could kind of just help us understand sort of how those, how that timeline went, I think we can sort of, you know, help to help people to understand um, what to expect well, and and hopefully it'll it'll in, in reality it'll help you to since since you know the future already, <laughs> it'll help you to act faster and uh, act better than what we did in a way, and maybe get rid of this faster, and and this would be the better outcome for everything and everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, no, as I said, you know, the first milestone was when I was watching those flat screen TVs of the Javits Center and and realizing that something was happening, but had no idea the magnitude. And then the second milestone was. When I started traveling in Paris and I started telling my guide managers there that I was quite worried and that maybe some projects needed to slow down mm-hmm. um, socially with my friends. Um, well, I, I have to say uh, me who worked in tourism had a really good sense and a really good thermometer of what was happening. My friends on the other hand, people who own pubs, bars, restaurants, or other types of businesses didn't. And even though they um, followed the news, um, they were actually really, truly clueless of the severity of it. Also because the government wasn't necessarily yet taking enormous action towards it. They closed the schools on the 3rd of April, on the 3rd of March, sorry. Mm-hmm. And they only closed them until the 15th of March. So they, you know, even this was not enough. And people were starting to get more frustrated than anything. The frustration was, all right, now I have to learn how to work from home and I have to deal with my child. And um, I'm required to be a babysitter, a parent and a worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't deal with all of this. And yet, restaurants are open. People are going out. People are going to the park. Um, people are ha- hanging and living their normal lives. Now, here I am in the background receiving cancellations and realizing that this is going to be big mm-hmm, and have mm-hmm. a huge impact. Huge impact. Then all of a sudden they started closing Milan down and they closed Milan and Northern Italy in some sort of almost military way. And even though some politicians, <laughs> there's a funny story about one of our Rome politicians going up to Milan and having an aperitivo with Milanese people mm-hmm. saying, no, don't worry, I'll beat coronavirus. Everybody, you know, enjoy your lives, you know, and here we are having a spritz together. And then he comes down to Rome and three days later, later days later, he tested positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then that's when you realize, you know, it could be any, I was in Milan on the 18th of February and, that's, and I start getting worried. I was in Paris, traveled, you know, met a lot of people. Obviously you try and distance yourself. You try and shake hands less, but at some point then science starts telling you, watch out. It's really everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's when, um, on the 9th of March, we were all stuck in front of the TV to listen to our prime minister talk. 
And when he announced complete lockdown until the 3rd of April for the entire country, for all 60 million inhabitants, I was actually quite relieved and I was happy. And I said, okay, we'll take a bigger hit. And now I have to deal with everybody who's taken a tour and has not canceled yet because they trusted that at least Rome is a safe place to be in. I'm going to have to deal with them. I'm going to have to deal with all sorts of different consequences. I'm going to have to deal with venues, trying to get money, you know, all sorts of things. But it made my friends and my society and my parents and my cousins and everybody realize what the severity of this was. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them, they kept their restaurant. They, they have a restaurant pub and they kept it open a month. This is Sunday night. We received the news on Monday night. They kept it open on Monday night. They looked at each other and they, you know, we have a group chat on what's up and they said, you know what? This is not worth our while. Mm-hmm. He said, complete lockdown, complete lockdown. It is. We have to preserve our employees. We have to preserve the people that come in. We have to preserve the elderly and the people with a low immune system. So everybody, even though the lockdown wasn't as press pressing as it could have been, everybody started acting very responsibly and, uh, and businesses, uh, especially social, uh, um, social businesses like restaurants or social events or mom's groups or schools or part-time events, uh, part-time schools and daycares and whatever else, everybody started saying, no, 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 stay at home. Um, and in all honesty, now there is, as I said, now there's the flash mobs and now there's the unity, the unity of intent. Now there is everybody in front of the TV uh, to, to, to read the news and to see what the new numbers is. Everybody has become a virologist, I have to say. So, <laughs> whether we wanted to or not, we're learning a lot about tonight. Not, whether you deserve to be one or not. <laughs> I, always, I was always an arts girl, but now I'm paying attention to science. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so this is also, you know, uh, funny. It's also hard to, to figure out what's fake and what's real. There's a lot of, and I'm sure you guys are going to get this, we already have. That's, I think, there's why we're of, first taken seriously. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of WhatsApp chats going on or messages that go on about these, um, well, these men or women that record themselves talking, saying that they are doctors and they are doctors at this hospital. And you have to realize that this is what um, um, you should be doing or don't do this. Mm-hmm. And... And a lot of this, nobody can understand whether it's fake or not. And it is creating a lot of confusion. So I'm actually really proud to say that (laughs) instead of just, you know, listening to everything that comes your way and acting in a hundred different million ways a day because everybody's saying something different, we're all just unitedly following the rule, stay at home and only go out if it's for dire emergency, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, the three rules, walk your dog, go to the grocery store and, and go to the pharmacy. These are the only three. For any other reason, we need to have a certificate. We need to have compiled or certificate that says, this is why I'm going out. I'm still required to go to my work or I need to go and visit my you know, uh, parents at home who need to have food delivered or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, but otherwise, we're we're in lockdown, and it's having its results. So it's fun to see. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. But it's oh, interesting okay. to see people's mm-hmm. reactions on on social media and on and and, and you know it's starting to get some positive feeling. And so this is the last 
landmark that we're experiencing and I've been experiencing today uh, for the first time where, you know, there's some positive positivity coming through. Um, China is out of it or almost completely out of it. We are starting to see the trend working now that it's been a week lockdown where incubation is between five and 12 days. That means that if our cases diminish, then that means we're getting out of it. Oh, wow. So that means we're going to start being able to live a better life and maybe a month or something. Well, mm-hmm. good. Let's stay strong. Let's stay united. Let's continue this throughout, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, the more we all kind of work together, the faster we can move through this for sure. And I think you've also articulated the beauty of humanity that I think we're seeing in some of this as well. I was... Yeah, I was the, the two days ago, my friends and I were all talking about what our grandparents did during the war. Mm. And, you know, Alberto's my my my, uh, my best friend who I'm going to be a best man of hopefully in September. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yes. Um, um, you know, he said, well, my grandfather was in prison in Kenya during World War II for five years. And another one said, well, my grandpa, you know, was imprisoned in this and this place for three years. Um, I had, you know, my Italian grandfather who was a soldier, so he <laughs> fought for both sides during World War II and, and risked his life and probably was imprisoned during the transition by the Allies until he, you know, he, he decided to fight with the Allies. I had my other American grandfather who was on a ship uh, out in the Pacific Ocean and barely made it out of Pearl Harbor and was, you know, in, on the ship for... I don't know how many months waiting or not, whether they should attack Japan. And, you know, this is what we're being asked now as a community is nothing in comparison, absolutely nothing. So you have to put these things in perspective. And I realized this when I called my grandparents who are in California and I was telling them what we are going through. And, you know, he was, well, we're thinking about you, son. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that was it. And that was it. And that's when I, when, when I was like, wait a minute, this guy fought the war. Right. You know, uh, we, this is our war of our generation. Man, we can do this. We can get way past this and we'll be stronger than before. That's for sure. But, let, you know, let's put everything in perspective and things will get better and they will be better than before as every crisis is. So let's just think positive. Well, I don't think we can end any better uh, than than that. I think um, beautiful, beautiful words. Thank you so much, Angelo. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and uh, to hear your story about your, you know, building your business from the ground up and what you're navigating right now in Italy and um, very much a hope and inspiration. I know as we get back to traveling, um, you know, we're going to keep dreaming keep dreaming of travel and spending time together and exploring the world. Uh, where can people find information on Live Italy? So when they are ready to get those tours going well, back again. Well, that's, that's, that, uh, thank you for serving this on a silver platter, Anne. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my um, job. <laughs> well, for whomever is listening, and I'm going to try and share this as much as possible, um, also to our um, followers, Um, this is the best time to dream and plan. So, you know, we have to, as I said, we have to think positive and we have to know that this is going to end. Of course, we're going to have some financial 
everybody in a personal and different way is going to have some financial repercussions. So we have to take that into consideration, but nobody's going to stop us from dreaming or planning. Planning doesn't cost anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hearing your voice and getting your phone calls and responding to your emails, uh, this is what is going to fill our days and it's going to fill your time. So um, you can go on liveitaly.com or livespain.com or livetours.com where you can access all of our destinations from London all the way to the entire peninsula of Italy, Paris and Barcelona included. We're, well, (laughs) I have all the company phones now because everybody is on forced vacation, but I do answer 24-7 for the time. (laughs) So, um, you know, this... There's nothing better and there's nothing more exciting. The best part of a vacation is the planning stage. Mm-hmm. And if this is the time that we have, if, we can, if we're able to overcome the fear and we're able to see the positive aspect and the positive outcome, this is the time to start inquiring and start you know, picking my brain. Um, so everybody, you know, don't hesitate in, in being a little courageous in, in your dream and your travel planning. And those are the ways to contact us. So, yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And I think what we've realized in this process that never before has it been more important to have a travel advisor so that they can help you navigate through this. Certainly it's a very personal decision and there's a lot of uncertainty right now. So there's not a lot of like, you know, strong direction right now, but planning can still happen. Um, And when the time is right, we'll all know it and um, we'll be back to exploring the world again. So thank you so much, Angela. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Okay. Hey, y'all. I hope you're having as much fun listening to the Culture Shift podcast as I am having these conversations. Please hit the subscribe button. Share your favorite episodes with friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on cultureshiftpodcast.com, or you can ask Anne, me, a question on Instagram, my perfectly imperfect Instagram, at Culture Shift Podcast or Hip Travel Mama.